Welcome to the I Have ADHD podcast, where it's all about education, encouragement, and coaching for adults with ADHD. I'm your host, Kristen Carter, and I have ADHD. Let's chat about the frustrations, humor, and challenges of adulting, relationships, working, and achieving with this neurodevelopmental disorder. I'll help you understand your unique brain, unlock your potential, and move from point A to point B. Hey, what's up? This is Kristen Carter, and you're listening to the I Have ADHD podcast, episode number 182. I am medicated, I am caffeinated, and I am ready to roll. Today, we have a very special returning guest, Dr. Russell Ramsey. Dr. Ramsey is the co-founder and co-director of the University of Pennsylvania's Adult ADHD Treatment and Research Program and a professor of clinical psychology in the Department of Psychiatry in the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. He's authored several books on ADHD, including one that I reference often called Rethinking Adult ADHD, Helping Clients Turn Intentions into Actions. Dr. Ramsey was here with us previously to discuss cognitive behavioral therapy for adults with ADHD. And if you're interested in listening to that conversation, it's a good one. You can check out episode 143 of this podcast to go listen to that combo. But today we're talking about self-trust. Now, this is something that adults with ADHD struggle with massively. I've seen it in myself and many, if not all, of my clients. And so as we continue our relationship series here on the I Have ADHD podcast, Dr. Ramsey and I are going to dive into the concept of self-trust. And I know this is kind of annoying. I've said it before, but the relationship that we have with ourselves is going to be the foundation for all of our other relationships. And so improving our self-trust is a huge part of improving our relationships. On today's episode, we'll chat about what self-trust is, why ADHDers struggle with it, and the specific steps we can take to improve it. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Russell Ramsey. Dr. Ramsey, thank you for being here. Kristen, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. So good to chat with you. And first and most important topic of the day, as per our custom, the Philadelphia Eagles are looking real good. You think they're looking good? I think they are looking great. Yes. They're looking so good. Do you think? I mean, we're 4-0 and right now at the recording of this podcast, I believe. Correct? 4-0? Correct. Yes. Okay. So what does this mean for our future? Should we get our hopes up or should we look at the history of Philly sports and say, you know what? It might not be quite time to get the hopes up. They look like they have a great team, a great format, but I think it's only half a coincidence that cognitive therapy developed in uh, Philadelphia (laughs) to deal with some of the frustrations we've had as diehard Philly sports fans. So, but I'm, but I'm dispositionally and athletically hopeful this year. Yes. Yes. Agreed. And you know, and the Phillies, uh, the Phillies just made the postseason last night. I know. I'm not sure how that happened. It's great. It's amazing. They made it as a wild card. (laughs) We'll take it. We'll take it. That's so good. I love how you say there's a reason why cognitive behavioral therapy originated in Philly. Like we needed it. We really did need it. (laughs) Okay. So let's chat for a minute or actually for several minutes about self-trust. Now, when you were here and we were talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, our conversation wandered into the area of self-trust. And I remember kind of putting Mm. a pin in that and saying, 
I think I need to have you come back on so we can have an entire conversation about this because ADHDers struggle with this on a major, major level. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Do you also see this in your practice, how ADHDers struggle with self-trust? Oh, yeah. And that was actually the main motivator for the whole Rethinking Adult ADHD book. I was asked a question at the end of one of R, and R being myself and Tony Rostain, the co-founder, and really the Zuckerberg in the adult ADHD program at Penn coming to be, and he just asked me to come along on the ride. But it was a very well-meaning and insightful question at the end of one of our first presentations on the model. Somebody asked, what is the cognitive theme in the thoughts of adults with ADHD. So for people with depression, the cognitive distortions that are well known for cognitive behavioral therapy, like all or nothing thinking, mind reading, catastrophizing, they're all common, but there are different themes. So in depression, a common theme is that of loss, loss of opportunity, loss of potential in the future, loss of a relationship. With anxiety, it might be the perception of threat or risk, and really what we're understanding it to be as the intolerance of uncertainty, which is directly relevant for ADHD that we might get back into. And I didn't have a good answer, nor did I don't think any colleagues in the field doing CBT at that time, because we were just sort of fumbling around just trying to show whether CBT worked. But it stayed with me over the years. And then, you know, part of the, with the Rethinking Adult ADHD book, I had noticed some people talking about trust or lack of trust. I don't trust myself to do something if I don't write it down. I know I can do it, but I don't trust I will do it when I plan to do it or when I have to do it. And I was meandering around, well, yeah, what's going on here? And what are we talking about with the self-mistrust? And I thought, well, this sounds like self-efficacy theory, like Albert Bandura. Do I believe I can do something? Now, but that was also similar. That is compromise, say, in depression, anxiety, other things. Is it personal agency, the belief in the ability to make changes in our life to our betterment? Again, depression, anxiety. But in reading one of Bandura's books, I ran across this concept within efficacy theory that I'd never heard before called self-regulatory efficacy. Hmm. And what it was is virtually a rewording of the executive functions. And it's almost a precondition for efficacy. And it's the belief in our ability to do the the little, boring, tedious tasks that go into getting the class, completing all the assignments, household chores. And those are taken to be intact with depression. And depression just weakens the belief. But Like I said, in reading the text, and I present slides on this when I talk on this, it's a reworking of the executive function. So that led me to start thinking, that's the level of Mm self-mistrust. I may be a good writer, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get myself to write in time to meet the deadline for the class, or we could fill in the blank with other things. So with that, I, I made the contention in the book. Now, this is based on my clinical experience. There's no empirical data for it yet, Mm -hmm. that self-distrust, D-I-S-T-R-U-S-T, is the main theme of the automatic thoughts, and self-mistrust is the main theme in the the deeper beliefs. The only difference being when I looked up the words distrust seems more local and immediate, and mistrust seems more global, and that seemed to fit 
with the automatic thoughts versus the core beliefs. So that's where it came from. But like many things, learning by doing, just yeah. hearing people literally say, I don't trust myself. I know I can do it, but I don't trust myself to do it. Yeah. The the idea of ADHD is a performance problem, not a, a knowledge or necessarily a talent problem. Right. Exactly. There are so many talented people who don't trust themselves to follow through and so are not taking maybe not taking a promotion or not taking that you know that book deal or whatever the case may be because it's like well I know I have the talent for it I know that I'm gifted in this area but am I going to wake up at the right time and start working mm-hmm. at the right time and work for long enough and will I have the stamina and can I follow through on it we just don't trust that we can and we've gathered a lot of evidence that we're right We've gathered Absolutely. so well, much. That, Go ahead. And that's what I was saying before about the uncertainty theme with anxiety. Now, anxiety, both in diagnostic in, in some sort of anxiety diagnosis, most most recently in a study looking at generalized anxiety being overrepresented in adults with ADHD, at least in one sample. But I would say even if it's not diagnostic level, just even task-oriented anxiety, and it's from the uncertainty. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get myself to do it today. I think that factors in for all the reasons that you mentioned before, mm-hmm. the past history of that consistent inconsistency and how that punctuates and disrupts otherwise reasonable endeavors. Now, sometimes I've seen and heard about adults with ADHD who might have some unrealistic expectations, but generally it's about how much somebody's going to be able to do in a shortened time frame, but maybe not the actual skill or topic or right. subject or whatever the case may be. So that's where the thoughts and the emotions and behaviors are like this braided cord of experience, but we sort of disentangle them. So that way it gives us a fair chance to try to modify it in CBT and probably the other helping approaches for adults with ADHD. Hmm. Why do you think that self-distrust. How did you put it? It's mistrust and distrust, but how did you, how let's, did you let's put say, it? Let's use, I, I put it as distrust for the immediate thought. Like I distrust myself that I'm going to be able to run all the errands I have to do today, but that's part of my overarching self-mistrust mm. and that, that the schema are very emotionally loaded. And this could be sort of like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother enrolling in the course this semester. I'll do it later. I'll do it some other time, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it now. Mm-hmm. So it can be like almost like head off, you know, some things at the outset before we have a chance to quote unquote fail at them. It's failing ahead of time. I'll fail yes. by not engaging so right. that I don't have Plus, to fail in the, right. in the moment. It's a preemptive strike. That was the phrase I was thinking about, or you oh can't gosh, fire me yeah. because I quit type of thing. Yes. Totally. Totally. Okay. Which is exactly what procrastination is. I'll wait till (gasps) later when I'm in the mood to do it because feeling like, okay, I don't trust myself now, but later on I'll be in the mood to do it, but Mm -hmm. probably not because there's going to be some discomfort with, you know, facing one of these tasks because of that uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Now, most people might, you know, nobody's in the mood to do homework. So most people feel a little bit of that, what we call the UG feeling. Yeah. Um, so part of the uh, the emotional side and how we think about emotions, which is, I think we talked about maybe last time, front end perfectionism. Yes. Everything has to be right. I have to be in the mood to do it. Well, that won't happen. Right. But it's how can we tolerate that? That's part of the emotional tolerance and the mm-hmm. thoughts about our emotion. Mm-hmm. I have to be anxiety or stress-free as a precondition for doing it. Well, 
I don't think you or I would have gotten up this morning and had that been the case, <laughs> if had that been our precondition. So, I mean, kidding aside, I mean, yeah, we use humor about this, but this is the stuff that gets in the way of, like you said, applying to the program, showing up for class, mm-hmm. catching up on that. You know, they're through two thirds of the way through the semester, but then that paper and maybe not asking for the extension mm-hmm. because of the interpersonal shame mm-hmm. that undermines what has already you know, maybe been some good effort, but then that punctuation mm-hmm. of efforts um, mm-hmm. and incompleteness in life. Do you think that this is just a hallmark trait of ADHD because it is just part of the disorder? Or do you think that this is something that we weren't necessarily born with, but was developed over time, maybe by like people pointing out our flaws and telling us like, you're so inconsistent, if you could just be more consistent or, you know, just being raised in families that were not super nurturing or like, where do you think the self-mistrust overall comes from? I I think like, like our, you know, other, other thought and emotional patterns when you're sitting with somebody and asking where it comes from or what came up in a situation, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily helpful to have in that situation if you want to follow through on it, but it's usually self-protective yeah. in terms of emotionally, self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And I think one, it comes from the feedback loops growing up and dealing with school and frustrations in school. Yeah. Everybody tells me I'm smart, or but somehow I don't seem to get everything done. Yeah. I probably cite this almost every time I write or talk about this, but one of the early books on adult ADHD, you mean I'm not lazy, stupid, or crazy? Yeah. Because those are the attributions. Those are some of the other belief themes that developed. So it can be from one's own experience of their performance in these situations. Mm-hmm. Why do I always wait till the last minute? Mm-hmm. It can be from feedback. You must not want to do it because you don't seem to try. Right. It could be both from maybe families that were not very supportive. It could be from well-meaning families who didn't understand ADHD and trying to do the best they can, but it just wasn't the poor fit because they didn't know. And I've heard many adult parents after the fact, like almost in tears as much as their adult child who is now tearful about the diagnosis, like had we only known yeah, we could have done it, but we didn't know what to do different or we yeah. were following the advice that we had at the time. So, yeah. yeah, it can come from a lot of avenues and all of them together. At the same time, there can be those interactions with the coach or the music teacher that helps somebody foster a wonderful skill that they have or a capability. It can come from the teacher who got it and would spend extra time or allow the student to retake the test who somebody who didn't do well with the um the multiple choice test, they say, hey, just tell me, right? tell me why the Declaration of Independence came to be or something. And they could just riff on it, who found workarounds, impromptu workarounds. There are other positive examples of this, including the helping professionals or later even the relationships with people who go or the partner who says, oh yeah, now I understand ADHD Mm. and they can be more, more responsive to it. And hopefully that's things like what your podcast does for people too, spreading Mm. accurate information out there about what can be done. Mm. So how do you define self-trust? We've talked about mistrust and distrust, but how do you define trust? Is it believing that we're always going to get it right? 
No, I would say it is the the ability to tolerate that we know we won't always get it right. Mm-hmm. And and you know, the relapse rate for all of us on procrastination is 100%, so it <laughs> will happen, but it's it's having some confidence more than self-esteem. Self-esteem is sort of a positive regard mm-hmm. and you know, it's been shown that, you know, sometimes it was thought that bullies don't have good self-esteem. No, their self-esteem is too good because they have the self-esteem from their bullying behavior. Now, it's not the best behavior, but that's where it comes from. Yeah. So we want to have others. So we do want to have some self-esteem, but I view it more as self-efficacy and the belief that even when a day gets away from us, that we'll have a plan that more often than not, we'll be able to put in the place and carry out and get to some at least good enough outcome, but along the way, maybe doing better than that. Or, you know, let's just say getting close to our average and hopefully our average is pretty good, even if we don't see it right away. So it is sort of that, not just hopefulness, but it is that trust in our past abilities. And even if we don't do as well, the ability to tolerate that, learn from it, and maybe get back to mm-hmm. average, whatever whatever that is. Yeah. And I love that definition. And I would add to that, like, I will be kind to myself in the process, right? Right. So that is something that a lot of times I see clients not taking risks or taking steps or even just showing up for their lives because they're afraid that when they inevitably mess up, because we are human and not just human, but humans with ADHD, when I inevitably mess up, I experience the embarrassment and shame from the outside, but also the inner dialogue and the inner shame of just like, I can't believe you did this again. Here we go again. You're never going to change. This is just the same old, same old. That inner self-judgment is so harsh that we don't even want to set ourselves up for that. So we avoid showing up for our own lives. Right. And I like how you defined it because I totally agree with your definition of self-compassion. It is our relationship with ourself. And that is a good reframe because even some of the things that you're doing, and I remember a client who she was going on about her self-talk and really berating herself for a mistake. And I I commented, you know what, if you talk to somebody else on the street or they talk to you in that way, they would be arrested for assault. Yes. But it was how hard somebody was being. And one more thing I'll add to what you said, because you were using the you statement. Hmm. Now, this hasn't been studied specific for ADHD, but his name is Ethan Cross with a K. He's a neuroscientist at the University of Michigan. He talks about distanced self-talk, talking to yourself by name or as you, as we would to somebody else. And that form of talking has been found to be helpful. Again, non-clinical samples, but for dealing with problematic emotions, like Mm -hmm. somebody after a breakup, rather than, I can't believe they left me. I'm never going to find somebody. It's you know what? You're going to feel bad for a while. You don't know why they broke up with you. You'll eventually get through it. So the I statements would are called immersive self-talk and mm-hmm. tend to be ruminative and keeping us stuck in it. Whereas you, we can talk to ourselves as though we were talking to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's also to do it aloud. I know you can't do that on the train or something, but <laughs> and I think it makes us put it through the language system. So it is processing the emotions as we would in journaling. And we're mm-hmm. also hearing ourselves say it. And I think it also draws on the compassion that we usually have for somebody else. 
Mm. Um, so that has been found to be helpful both for emotional management and for task initiation. You know what, Russ? You just need to sit down, open the document, reread the last paragraph you wrote, see if you can add another sentence. And right. that's where I became familiar with his work and the direct applicability for adults with ADHD and dealing with procrastination. And mm. I found it to be very helpful. This is making me think about our executive functioning skills and how we really are deficient in um, having the inner dialogue. I believe it's nonverbal working memory. Is that what it's called? Am I? Uh, it's, it's the verbal working memory. Verbal working memory. Okay. Yes. Nonverbal is the imagery, but that is also considered cognition on many fronts because it's another way of making sense. Okay, perfect. Run, yeah. Yep. So our verbal working memory being, you know, of course it's on like a spectrum. Everybody right. struggles at different levels, but for many of us, that being deficient, that self-talk is something that we really have to learn how to develop. It's not something that comes very naturally that, you know, like, hey, you're going to be okay. Let's get through it. What do you need? Right. That right. inner dialogue, I, I, that was something that I learned to do in my 30s. Like I never, I didn't do that as a kid or an adolescent. And it was something that I like intentionally incorporated into my life. So I just, I wonder if that's another reason why establishing self-trust can be so difficult is because like even that skill is impaired. Yes. And that's why being able to I mean, we use labels judiciously, but they are having containers for experience is what helps us understand it and make sense mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And and all these things, like, yes, the language of cognitive behavioral therapy can be clumsy with maladaptive this and distorted that. But right. on the other side, there are always adaptive versions of this. And like I said, even the mm -hmm. quote unquote maladaptive ones, mm -hmm. when you hear the explanation, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, why would I want to start a writing assignment when it's going to be hours and hours and I'm not good at it and I still don't know if I'll finish it by the deadline right. and even an extension? Oh, great. I get to work on writing for yet another week. <laughs> Do I really want that? So, And sometimes getting that explicit, people say, yeah, I can hear it as I'm saying it. It doesn't make sense, but internally it does because it's self-protective. But these things can be marshaled to recognize, all right, what am I saying to myself about myself, about the task, about mm -hmm. my future? Mm -hmm. And then we have some space to open up for what are alternatives. Now, a lot of this will deal with coping, the coping skills for ADHD, the executive functioning workarounds, whatever we want to call them, to try to do things differently. But there may be things that like the student in school who says, you know what? I really like my summer job working as a car mechanic. I think I'm really good at that. I don't, maybe I don't need school. Maybe I'm forcing myself for something right. I don't need to. And at least I know I rely on my mechanics a lot. And yeah. I think I'm funding them pretty well because I'm not <laughs> a handy guy. So no, it's a more than noble profession. And some mechanics I had before, I would put them on par with like psychologists or surgeons who were able yeah. to conceptualize and diagnose things. They yeah. were able to do like, you know, problem solving, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. in a format that works for them. You put yeah. them in my position and mine and theirs were both, you know, all of us are living very frustrated lives, for sure. but you find that niche and that's very personalized. And sometimes people can have, I've heard people talking about like, well, in my family, what I'm good at wasn't considered a yeah. good job or yeah you know, things like that, or I'm mm -hmm. the, I'm the, the outlier in the family who, but 
that that's and and sometimes it wasn't even things the family was saying the family was saying all the right stuff but the individual said yeah but i just see the difference one of these things is not like the other ones and so it's yes. more self-generated but you know societal standards with you if you will so we mm. really want to find like you know the goodness of fit is a nice mm. phrase that comes up a lot of ways but what is the good fit for your skills where you can feel that trust and you know build up we are not what we do we're not defined by our grades or our jobs or tasks or things like that, but the endeavors that we take on, and I always have to say, pardon the double negative, they're not nothing because we yeah. wanted to try this and we think it's a good fit mm -hmm. and we at least want to give it a try to see, mm -hmm. see how it works out. We have some skin in the game. Yeah. For sure. And it's an expression of who we are and the, the type of person that I'm showing up as. Right. And at least in my work, I feel like I'm not my work and yet I put so much of myself into my work. And so when something doesn't go right, which of course happens, it's very hard for me to separate, you know, this is my job over here and this is me and my self-worth over here. It does feel very connected. Right, right. No, but I think you know, the right of self-determination, not that we mm -hmm. can do everything, but to find out. And yeah, with that, like the self-expression and, mm -hmm. you know, some of, you know, some of the therapy and I know coaching probably does this too, you know, falls into the purview of trying to find those right fits. And also, I think it's important to point out incremental progress and pointing out the strengths that we're seeing authentically, yeah. not just, oh, you're awesome. You you can do anything you put your head to. But it's sort of like, you know what, you've demonstrated this. I've heard you say this and you can right. be very compassionate. And even if it's not like an employable or not immediate, you can't immediately put it into an employment box, right. but it is some of these these skills that may mm. be relevant for certain pursuits. Mm, love that. So we're defining self-trust as I trust that even though this process might be bumpy and I might not do it perfectly, I will at least be able to move forward. Is that like right. a concise way to say it? And maybe I'd say I, so. Yeah. Okay. And and see and see something through to completion. And even if we find out, no, I don't want to do that anymore, yeah. or it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, to be okay and to be able to to let it go then and move on. Yes. Yes. The the being okay, I think, is so crucial because I one of the things that I've changed about myself in the last five to ten years is um, you know, when something doesn't work out or when I change my mind, just the way that I treat myself on the inside, I've drawn a lot of boundaries, which I think is part of deciding to trust yourself is like, I'm actually going to be nice to myself and I'm not going to accept, like you said, the assault of right. berating or judging or beating yourself up. It's just like, okay, this didn't work out. How do I want to handle it? You know, I'm going to be sad right. for a little while. Um, I might feel shame or judgment and that's fine. I can feel that, but I'm not going to pile it on from myself right. to myself. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey, Kristen here. I'm the host of this podcast, an ADHD expert and a certified life coach who's helped hundreds of adults with ADHD understand their unique brains and make real changes in their lives. If you're not sure what a life coach is, let me tell you, a life coach is someone who helps you achieve your goals like a personal trainer for your life. A life coach is a guide who holds your hand along the way as you take baby step after baby step to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. A good life coach is a trained expert who knows how to look at situations, all situations, with non-judgmental 
neutrality, and offer you solutions that you've probably never even considered before. If you're being treated for your ADHD, and maybe even you've done some work in therapy, and you want to add to your scaffolding of support, you've got to join my group coaching program, Focused. Focused is where functional adults with ADHD surround each other with encouragement and support. And I lead the way with innovative and creative solutions to help you fully accept yourself, understand your ADHD, and create the life that you've always wanted to create, even with ADHD. Go to IHaveADHD.com slash focused to join. And I hope to see you in our community today. So how do you see that self-trust or self-mistrust shows up in our interpersonal relationships, in our families, in our like partnerships, in our friendships? Like it's a whole thing, in my opinion. Right. What's your experience with that? No, and I'm glad you brought it up now because sort of the scenario that you're just giving, you know, sort of spoke to that, like setting limits with other people. Mm-hmm. So how it came up for me and I've I've used the analogy of our relationships being like accounts, financial accounts with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sort of have like a shared account and we make deposits and withdrawals and there might be different expectations for you know, what we contribute. So like a parent and a child, the parent takes on the bulk of it and the child maybe has some chores they do, but it's, you know, they're, you know, it's, it's not equal. But generally in adulthood, there may be different roles, say at work or school, where that relationship has a certain account, uh, but also with the the relationships, our friends, family, that network from which we get a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's more ac- expectation of reciprocity and quid pro quo. So going back to the self-trust, how this became apparent is a lot of times adults with ADHD seem like they're always operating or they are they assume they assume they're operating in the debt of other yeah. people. Well, I'm always late or I'm unreliable or even one jo- one person I was working with talked about even getting to know somebody new. They start to anticipate, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I, I'm how am I going to let this person down? So it's almost like, you know, reducing their account already. Mm-hmm. And so some areas where the, I noticed this coming up would be about assertiveness slash self advocacy, mm-hmm. and these are some of these qualities or these behaviors that we say we all want to have those and do them. But what do they actually mean? So we talk about self-advocacy, like for college students with ADHD, you have to advocate for yourself. Well, what does that mean? It's a degree of assertiveness. And yeah, without going into the weeds, I I sort of had this model where I've broken down assertiveness into like actionable terms. Like what is my role in this situation? So -hmm. it may be, well, I'm a student. I want to ask for an extension and I have to make the professor I have to get the accommodation without the professor being angry at me. Well, you can't control the professor's reaction. What is your role? You're a student in the class and you're, you, you're, you've fallen behind. You want to ask for it. Mm-hmm. The professor's role is to field your request and they don't know that you want to ask it yet. You have to introduce this. Their role is to hear it. So they could be frustrated, mm-hmm. but what else could it be? And that could be their first reaction and how you frame it probably goes a long way. Mm-hmm. If you go in and say, hey, doc, I need a, I need an extension now. I can guess. Yeah, we can reasonably guess. But if you go in and say, Hey, I know this is on me and it's something I'm working on, but could I have an extension till Monday? Mm-hmm. Um, there still could be no. Right. And then that's, then you deal with it, but you could get the, you could get the yes. So 
how do you fulfill your role? And that would be an assertive statement. So assertiveness can be done nicely and collaboratively. And sometimes it is restating facts as we see them. Hmm. Excuse me. I think I ordered French fries with my sandwich and not potato chips. Oh, yes. You know, uh, a parent advocating for their child, like with ADHD, Mm -hmm. who struggles with homework. You know what? Our daughter's been staying up and we've been helping her, but it's still taking us till nine o'clock and she's really sacrificing sleep and we think it's affecting her schoolwork. Yep. Now, a snarky teacher could say, I don't hear a question there. Now, it may be, well, what what can I do? No, I don't think he would get that. But I just (laughs) use that to to illustrate that, you know, be ready that they might go. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. What can we do? Well, Mm -hmm. what we were thinking, can we like only have our daughter do the odd numbered math math questions? It won't be all 20, but it'll be 10, but we'll still get a a representative sampling. So there are ways to do assertiveness and self-advocate, including and especially saying no because, or to no to unreasonable requests Mm -hmm. where very often this comes from that lowered self uh, social capital of, okay, I can make it up with my friend. If I promise to do these things or with my boss, I'll promise to do this. In fact, I'll see you and raise you. I'll have it to you tomorrow morning by eight o'clock until later on we go, oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? And then it becomes this self-defeating cycle of now I have to ask for another extension or it wasn't realistic. I wanted it's almost like pushing all your chips into the table. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, so part of the assertiveness is being able to say, or at least learn to let me think about it and get back to you. Yes. And maybe make a counter proposal. You know what? I won't be able to do it this weekend, but if we could do it two weeks from mm-hmm. now, or if mm-hmm. I could have two weeks for it rather than one yeah. week. Yeah. And if we can't get to it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But that's another way that social capital comes up feeling like I can't say no because I owe somebody so yeah. much. Yeah. And I am all for, hey, you drove me to the airport one and picked me up one time when right. I needed it. I want to I want to repay in kind. Right. Or you did a big solid for me. I want to repay you. Or for family, we put ourselves out sometimes. But mm-hmm. at least making informed decisions. So I think where that self mistrust comes up is the public facing element of ADHD. Yes. How it can affect relationships, or at least for the the person with ADHD may assume that. Maybe showing up late for lunch repeatedly annoys a friend. Now, it may be something that you go, even if my friend is fine saying, no, no, I use it to catch up on my emails and things like that. It's fine. But the individual may say, I still want to get better at that. And there may be times where a boss says, you know what, you're late too often. We're going to have to, you won't get your bonus if you keep up. So there can be actual things to work on where it does affect some of these relationships. But that automatically assuming a one down position and mm. I have to, I have to build it up and mm. I can't look out for my needs. That's where mm-hmm. the assertiveness mm-hmm. and self-advocacy seems like it comes in as a very useful, but underutilized skill. I just love every single word that you just said, because I do see this cycle in so many of my clients where we're assuming a deficit right off the bat, but then what, we increase that deficit by heaping on the things that we either take on, we say yes to, we agree to, we assume that we have to do. And then by nature of that, like we're signing up for too much. And of course we can't complete it. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, 
okay, I I knew I wouldn't be able to show up for this person. I knew right. I wouldn't be able to do this. And it's like, well, yeah, but because you took too much on, not because you're a terrible person or you don't, you, know you can't follow the steps. You overpromise, but then underdeliver. And what we yeah. want to do is switch that around, underpromise and overdeliver. Yeah. Meaning, ask for, I don't know. If it's reasonable, but let's just say ask for the five days to work on something. But then if you get it done in two or three, great. Perfect. Perfect. But give yourself the buffer that you know you might need. Yeah. You know what? And and going back to something else, and I think you used it when you were using a, an example of yourself, how hard you can be on yourself. Shame and guilt come mm -hmm. up as emotions a lot. Mm -hmm. And these are two of the social emotions. Mm -hmm. And they it is good that we have this capacity. Now, guilt is an emotion associated with the perception, which can be accurate, that we have made a mistake or done a yeah. wrong. Yeah. We forgot an anniversary date. We promised to pick somebody up and forgot. We didn't pay the bill or mm -hmm. overspent or something like that. And it, in reasonable doses, it is helpful. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? I, I'm sorry. You know, let me pick you up tomorrow. I have in my calendar or what I said, I realize... <laughs> I, I realize you're a Cowboys fan. And so I'm really sorry that it might be, you know, um, I'm sorry I was bragging about our 4 0 start. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I had to work it in there. <laughs> but so in reasonable doses, it can be helpful. But a lot of times we'll misperceive or we think we've committed a felony and right. actually we did jay jaywalking. Right. And right. not even right. a ticket, right. just the officer saying, hey, next time wait for the walk sign. Right. But but we think we've done a capital crime. And shame is that we have violated community or our personal values, hmm. which we are humans doing human things. People have extramarital affairs, things like that. Right. But we've somehow lost face. And that's why a lot of people say, I can't look people in the eyes for what I did. Hmm. But that's, now there can be things like, Folks with ADHD, just like everybody else, can have, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of making amends, that is helpful to energize that. But very often we're talking about things that are way out of proportion. Yeah. Either, no, you should, uh, shouldn't, but <laughs> there's no need for you to feel shame or guilt. That that wasn't like really a, a mistake you have to apologize. Right. And uh, not just folks with ADHD, but I'll hear it sometimes. People who will reflexively say, oh, sorry. It's like, mm. you know what, you, you don't, you don't have to feel guilty for that. Oh, I'm sorry. I felt guilty. And it's like, no, you don't have to. You know, and some, and sometimes it is a practice, like just observe how many times do you say sorry for something that isn't your doing? Mm. Mm. Oh, com coming in, you know, let's just say somebody coming in for a meeting and like, oh, it's all, it's all wet. It's raining outside. Oh yeah. Sorry. It's like, you're, you're not, you don't control the weather. <laughs> But it, you know, you know, but it's, it is, it is funny, but people catch it and say, you know, I do do that a lot. Yes. And so it is interesting to catch it. And, and even I heard a twist on this on some social media forum, mm -hmm. rather than coming into a meeting you're late for say, sorry, I'm late. Say, thanks for waiting. Yeah. And it's almost like giving a credit and it's sort of like, Hey, thank you for your patience. And yeah. that, it's just a different energy. Now it's yeah. a reframe and we're still late and stuff like that, but right, just right, different right, right. ways to think about how we handle ourselves and handle situations. Mm. But I, th I think the like setting boundaries is a big mm. one for adults and, and being able to ask for and as crucially accept help when needed. Yeah. Okay, let's just chat about the boundaries just very quickly because this has been a theme of my life recently. And one of 
the ways that self-trust shows up for me personally is I trust myself to say no when I need to. I trust myself to set a boundary when I need to. And that hasn't always been the case. And I'm starting that process of like, if something is too much, I'm going to trust myself to say no rather than what it used to be was like, I'm just going to say yes to everything because I have FOMO and I also feel like I'm working from a deficit and I just, Mm -hmm. I really like people and I want to help everybody. And so I'm just going to say yes, 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 yes. And then I don't trust myself to like know my own limits. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful ways that we can develop self-trust is we can start to notice where our limits are and trust ourselves to show up and say like, no, that doesn't really work for me. Or I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that. Or actually, right. when you talk to me like that, I feel really terrible. And I, I'd like it if if you could do it differently, right? Yeah. It's just like right. trusting yourself to set limits. And what you did nicely there is framing it in behavioral terms. When you talk to me like that, mm. um, as opposed to, you know, I mean, there's a you in there, or you can say when I'm spoken to like that. But, you know, this is the therapist cliche because like defensiveness is our factory setting as humans. Mm-hmm. As soon as we hear you need to, we go, oh, really? And yeah. if you can't see me, I'm crossing, I'm crossing <laughs> my arms in defiance right now. And even if it's like, hey, you need to be nice to yourself, we're eventually going, oh, what do I need to do? Tell me more. Right. But, you know, like something like that, even like a relationship part, you know, when you call me that, that really hurts my feelings. And hopefully it's in the relationship where you go, you know, I'm wrong. And that was my bad. And you know what? The other thing with setting limits, we're also allow we're trusting the other person and allowing them the time and space because we'll say, I want to set limits. I want to be assertive, that, but I don't want people to be upset with me. Now, the first reaction for that person might be disappointment. Oh, we really wanted you to do it. And now I got to go find somebody else. So that'll be maybe their first reaction, maybe even a little anger. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, who are you to say no? But then a few seconds later, very often people go, well, she's really busy and okay. And other people said no to me and allowing them the time and space to work through what they need to. And even though the first reaction might be a little snarky or like frustrated, oh, I got to find somebody else. That's not their last or most representative reaction. Just like if we ask somebody for a favor and they say, yeah, I can drive you to the airport. Oh, never mind. I just wanted to see if you'd say yes. No, we're going, oh, great. But if they say no, it's like, all right, I got to think of something else and allowing them to solve it on their own and work it through just like Mm -hmm. we would on the other hand, if somebody said no to us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Our first reaction might be a little frustration, but then later on we go, well, that's reasonable. And I mm-hmm. respect that they said no, and maybe they just can't do it. Okay. I'm fine with that. And we move on. So doesn't that circle back to like self-agency and self-efficacy where it's just like, oh yeah, you're a human and I'm a human and we're not yeah. the same. <laughs> it's like right, right. remembering that we're not all enmeshed beings, but like we're actually separate humans. And I'd, for some reason, I think that adults with ADHD really struggle with this on a more profound level where it's just like, we feel the need to take care of everybody and make sure that they, and maybe it's rejection sensitivity. Like, you know, if you are upset with me about me setting a boundary, then I don't feel good about me anymore. Rather than right, just right. remembering like, oh yeah, you're a human. You get to be upset. This is an inconvenience. And a boundary usually is an inconvenience to the other person and just allowing space for that. 
like I said, that's why I use that example. Somebody <laughs> asks me for a favor, you agree to do it, and you say, oh, never mind. I just wanted to see what you'd say. Right. No, no, we're thankful. And that's the other thing. It's reinforcing and that social capital. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Yes. For picking, oh, you're a lifesaver, or you're you're That's the perfect. So you'd be the perfect, and even beforehand, you're the perfect person to run the school fundraiser. We, you know, we can't think of a better person, because that if if we're at a deficit of that, yeah. it feels great until we go, oh my gosh, what did I sign on for? And right. I would even say in that case, you know, assertiveness is going back to say, you know what? When I thought about it later, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. I'm going to be out of town or whatever. But then we hold back. Oh, no givebacks. I can't yeah. co I can't give it back. Well, we can it we can at least give it a try or say I'm gonna need help or somehow right. advocate for herself. You know what? I think you know, some of the social capital plays a role, but also if we if we're good at self-compassion, that can be a positive trait that and and if we do get some like we're we're in helping professions. So mm -hmm. we you know, part of part of that, if we want to put it in core belief terms, it's called subjugation putting others needs first. And yeah. that's what being a parent is all about. That's what yeah. um, working in healthcare is about. Yeah. Uh, so like when somebody's sitting down to me and it's like, Hey, let me tell you about my day, man. Um, no, it's, you know, for that time, it's not about me. It's a service that right. I provide. Now, again, there, there can always be too much because then some people will say I'm giving and giving and giving. I feel good. I'm glad to do it. And, but when I don't get my 20% met, then I get angry because that's not fair. But if we're training other people, okay, they're there all the time and they don't ask for everything. Part of this is retraining everybody. Yes. If they're used to you saying yes, hey, we're going to sign you up to um, be a speaker at our conference this year. And sorry, we can't give you a fee or pay for your travel, but we can't <laughs> wait to hear what you have to say. And if you go, sorry, I can't do that this year. Yeah. Or here, here's my speaker fee or something like yep. that. Yep. And it's like, yep. oh, yep. Yep. that's different. And it's not, it's, it's not nudgy. It's just, mm -hmm. Hey, it's just business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I have been in a retraining process in the last couple of years with the people right. in my lives. And, and I will say like, it's hard for everybody. It's hard for me to step into that new kind of identity. It's hard for the relationships in my life of like, excuse me, like this is changing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like it, yeah, I am. We, we don't like I am. Ch change is uncertain. That's why yeah. even positive change, even positive change is stressful. Yes. Oh my goodness. It's wild. I love the concept of being assertive. And I know that's not necessarily what the bulk of our combo is about, but how do we begin to take steps to be assertive if we're not people that trust ourselves? Do they have to go hand in hand, I guess is what I'm asking. You know what? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I call it, you know, just to have something to call it, I call it the define your role strategy. So really mm -hmm. what it's meant to be, just like I do with specific tasks, let's mm -hmm. shrink this down and define it behaviorally. What mm -hmm. do you have to do? Oh, I have to, I have to write a book or I have to write an A essay. Well, let's, let's talk about what are you writing about? What's the topic? Mm -hmm. Tell me about your ideas and like, you know, just can you write down that sentence you just told me? That's a mm. sentence. That's part, that's writing or, you know, sitting down. So it's really trying to shrink it down rather than I have to be assertive or I have to, mm. what is your, what is your role in this situation? You know, people, you know, you might have people saying, I have me on your broadcast and you say, mm -hmm. oh, this is awkward. And, um, right. I've got something to share or whatever. And right. it's like, 
what is my role here? It's my, my, it's my podcast. I like, I'm like, yeah, I'm you. Yeah. Um, and so my role is to seek out people. If somebody has something interesting, but I, I have a responsibility to myself and maybe to partly right. to my listeners. So right. I'm going to say, sorry, I, I can't offer you an invitation. Right. Uh, we have, we have another way we go through this. So yeah, it's yeah. what is, what is my role? I, I'm mm -hmm. the gatekeeper. So how do I fulfill that role? Sometimes mm -hmm. I may have to tell somebody a no and a definitive no because they might come back, but I can say that in a nice way or recommend yeah. maybe maybe you'd want to you know submit for a chad session or mm -hmm. an ad an add a tad talk or something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, give them other ideas, but to say no, my my no is final and I'll not be corresponding with you anymore on this topic mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's like shrinking it down. And how do I perform my role in actionable? What do I say? What words do I say? What email do I type? So there's mm -hmm. an action that we can go. I'm typing this, hitting the send button, which will be in the investment of three seconds of flushed. <gasps> okay, I did it. And they may hate me. But then after four seconds and after you go, I just saved myself a whole bunch of hassle and yes. doing a podcast that I really don't want to do and having right. the excuse why we're not airing it or whatever. Yes. So yes. that that's sort of like the thinking behind this strategy is like shrinking mm -hmm. it down into actionable terms, including saying no or making a request mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. the case be and coming up with scripting out. What will you say, even if you have to write it down and read it, which is not cheating? It's not cheating. I love that. I love I love this so much because what is my role is such a simple question. And it's something that we can use and apply over and over. And I, I think about this in like as my role as a mom. So I have three kids. And one of the things that I am really trying to do well for them that wasn't modeled for me is like show up and advocate for them and maybe be a buffer between them and a teacher or them and mm -hmm. like a friend that they're, you know. And so I like the concept of just asking myself, like, what is my role here? Oh, my role is like Owen's mom. Okay. As Owen's mom, how do I want to show up? Oh, okay. I want to be an advocate for him. I want to, right. you know, make sure that he gets the services that he needs in school or that he's getting the help from a teacher. Oh, right. that just makes it so much more clear than like, and uh, you know, with that, like I said, it can be done nicely. I think I ordered French fries, totally, not potato chips totally. and the server is probably going to be Oh, sorry about that. Let me take care of that for you. They probably have yeah. bats of it in the back, or they'll say, "Sorry, we're out of we're out of French fries today." That's why I gave. You. Oh, okay, no problem. Yeah, then yeah, I, th yeah, that's yeah. my role to deal with it, and the things like that. Going into the teacher, I gave that one scenario about the daughter spending so much time on homework. You can mm -hmm. start it off. We're really hoping uh, you can help us out, and we can yeah. use your wisdom as a teacher. Here's what we're facing. Yeah. So yeah. starting off with a joining, so it yeah. can be also collaborative, just like totally. you know, calling up. You know, tech support. Hey, I'm really hoping you can help me out with a problem yeah. here. Yeah. Um, collaborative. Hey, collaborative. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I know that's partly my idea because nobody likes conflict. That's what they say about being assertive because we conflate assertiveness with aggressiveness. I'm going to go in there. And I'm going to yes. get what I want. And and that may be part mm -hmm. of it. We'd like to have this outcome. I want French fries. Must be close mm -hmm. to lunch. <laughs> But I'm kidding, kidding. But get um, the man no. some fries. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> fries, fries, and chips. Uh, I'll take a side of chips with that too. <laughs> Don't take the chips. I'll take those too. Um, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. It. But um, but we can still go in there with an objective that we want to mm -hmm. get, and mm -hmm. and yeah, and like I said, restating facts as we see them is mm -hmm. a nice way to frame what am I asking for. Yeah, I love that.
I love that. What are some of the ways that you work with clients to develop self-trust? Well, I it, one, it is around both the, you know, their treatment goals, mm. uh, and which usually is somewhat, you know, for my money, some form of procrastination or disengage, not disengagement, not pardon the double negative. It's not not caring, but that repeated, right. I, yeah, I can never, I can't stay on top of this thing. I really want to have the outcome on. It's helping mm. with that. But also along the way, making sure it's getting metabolized. You know what? You're doing this better than you think you are. Or the fact yes. that you'd say, I had three good days, then a lousy day, I failed. It's right. like, no, that's 75%. That's above yeah, average. That's so you're not going to do it every day. And you're also finding about maybe how you're calibrated. Maybe you need a day away from this. Yep. Now that could be wrong, but mm-hmm. let's look at how, how you do it well. I'm a big believer in the concept of equifinality. There are different pathways to get to the same positive outcome. So what Mm. works for me, I might, like if I have a writing session, I can, with (laughs) properly caffeinated, I I, I can probably go at least two, two and a half hours. Yeah, probably three hours on a regular setting. And sometimes if I do three, that's good. Somebody else might go, Mm no, you know what, I, 90 minutes. Yeah, that's what I'm calibrated for, but I might have to do it more frequently or separate times during the day. So yeah, that works too. Are you right? Am I right? We're both right. Totally. So, you know, it's finding what works for you. Mm. And, and like I'll tell people, even in the books, these Mm. are starting points. Mm. This is what seems like it'll work for a wide array of people. But Mm. if you want to use colored pages in your planner or you go, Totally. No, I'm not going to break this down. I'm okay. I won't do it the night before, but I'm going to wait till two days before because yeah. I still get everything done. That's fine. I may not yeah. be able to do it or other people may fall apart when they do that. But if that works for you, mm-hmm. may, you know, a, a phrase I go back to, it's making informed decisions, yeah. which is how I think another way we, we generate trust, both in how we're doing something and that this is going to work for us. Hmm. Um, so it is still tied in with the treatment goals and very often managing these real world scenarios, including hmm. sometimes going, I don't want to be in this scenario anymore. I'm not good yes. at that. And yes. I found out by trying, I'm more passionate about this over here. So I want to give yeah. this a try. I love that you point out people's achievements because one of the things that I find with my clients is they'll say things like, I'm not going anywhere. Or I'm always so behind. And then if I if we can reframe it and say like, oh, is that true? Like, have you not accomplished anything in, in your life? Oh, well, I mean, I do have a college degree and I do have 10 years experience in this. And like they, they can list out all of these right. things that they, they have accomplished. They can trust themselves to do. But mm-hmm. what we do is we go into this black and white thinking of like, that doesn't matter now because today what I'm seeing is doom and gloom. Absolutely. I had one client, she was working on being on time and showed up like a couple minutes early. She said, yeah, but I was almost late. (laughs) So it it, it was almost like that. Well, because, and I think it is self-protective because it's okay. What happens next time? Because another thing with adults with ADHD, as they're doing better, their expectations change, others' expectations change. And there's that little bit of worry, like, and people will say, and partners will say, yeah, I've seen you do well for three or four weeks and then it always goes back. Right. And part of the part of this may be not just with ADHD, it could be things that 
we all do. We eat healthy for a while. Then after right. two months or after a holiday meal, it's sort of like, oh, mm-hmm. we got all these, uh, mm-hmm. ha- all this Halloween candy left over. Or, totally. You know, or hopefully in February, we'll be having Super Bowl parties in Philadelphia and there'll be a whole you know, a lot of soft pretzels or whatever. I am um, here for no, it. No, no. <laughs> yeah, for there you go. It. No, but, but <laughs> the, kid, the kidding aside, it's sort of like, some of that might be cyclical and it's not necessarily a yes. bad thing. You work it you work it into the expectations. Okay, we need a refresher periodically. Mm. So, and that that's a couple could arrange to say, okay, let's sit down. What do we need to get back on top of? So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's how you think about it. And it's like, I trust myself to get back on the horse. Right. Right? Like I know I'm going to fall off the horse because everyone does, but I trust myself to get back on. Right. You know what is it? Success is getting up one more time than you fall off. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for your time and all of your just wisdom in this area because I've learned so much from you and I know that my listeners are just thrilled to be able to hear from you again. I appreciate you being here with us. Well, Chris and I appreciate what you do with your podcast and all the the good work you're doing for everybody out there. And if people want to get in touch with you, read your books, your website, can you tell us what your website is? www.cbt4adhd.com. Now, sometimes people get really excited thinking I said CBD, um, but they're really (laughs) disappointed when they say I have nothing to do with that. Um, The books are available on the website. We actually learned the toolkit has been translated into Spanish, French, Canadian, Korean, and it is in the process of being translated into German. We just got some interest in that now, and it's going to happen. So. Do you hear that? International listeners, go to cbt4adhd.com to find Dr. Russell Ramsey's books and many of them translated in other languages. I love it. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Have an amazing day. Thanks, Dr. Ramsey. You too, Kristen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you're being treated for your ADHD, but you still don't feel like you're reaching your potential, you've got to join Focus. It's my monthly coaching membership where I teach you how to tame your wild thoughts and create the life that you've always wanted. No matter what season of life you're in or where you are in the world, Focused is for you. All materials and call recordings are stored in the site for you to access at your convenience. Go to IHaveADHD.com slash focused for all the info. 